Well, today I want to talk about Christmas, but I want to talk about Christmas, Christmas, M-E-S-S, Christmas, uh, because how many people know that the holidays, the Christmas season, can get uh, a little messy? It can get a little stressful. It can get a little overwhelming. It can get a little aggravating. If you have a, a two-year-old son who likes to take ornaments off the tree and throw them against the wall, it can be a trying season for you. I got some, some parents of two-year-olds down here in the front. I, uh, I looked online. I found some research done by Consumer Reports that listed the 11 things that stress Americans out the most at Christmas time. 11 things that stress Americans out the most at Christmas time. And let's see how many of these uh, you relate to that stress you out. All right, I'll, I'll rat on myself a little bit. Number one, overwhelming, number one answer that stresses people out at Christmas times is the large crowds and the long lines. Anybody that stresses you out at Christmas time, crowds and long lines. Number two, this one's for real, weight gain. Weight gain, anybody, anybody, weight gain stresses you out, all right? Nobody wants to admit that, let's move along. Number three, getting into debt, getting into debt. Anybody, you're like my house, you have to have those conversations like we're not buying presents for our third cousin's mom who you work with. We're not doing it. Um, number four, my wife stresses about this so much. I love her, Andrea, but she does stress about this buying the perfect gift. Anybody in here, like you, you just panic about buying the perfect gift. You're married or you know someone who's impossible to buy the perfect gift for. Anybody, calm down down there. Um, number four. Number five stresses you out is traveling. Traveling. There again, if you have young kids, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's it. Number six, 11 things that stress Americans out the most, seeing certain relatives. Not all relatives, not all relatives, just certain relatives. And you're worried you don't want to sit by them, obviously, on the, uh, at the dinner table. Uh, let's see here. Oh, gosh, this one's big for me. Number seven stresses me out. This may be number one for me. Seasonal Christmas music. Like, it just stresses me out. I don't know why, but it just does. And then the radio stations start playing it in November, and it just stresses me out. That's number seven. Number eight, getting bad gifts. Getting bad gifts stresses you out. Number nine, having to attend holiday parties or events. Anybody that stresses you out, you're like, I don't want to go. Uh, number 10, for the people in the room that this would stress you out, having to be nice. <laughs> I, this made the top 10. It stresses you out to have to be nice uh, around Christmas time. And then number 11, holiday tipping. Holiday tipping stresses you out. So I don't know about you. I don't know how you handle um, the Christmas time, the Christmas season, uh, but it can be it can be a little bit it can be a little bit messy. And so I want to talk about the messiness of Christmas today. Let me ask you a question. Looking for a little participation here. How many of you did anybody in here grow up and in your house, your mom or whoever you lived with, you had a breakables room? Anybody have a breakables room? Is where all the nice stuff was. You weren't allowed to go into because you were going to break stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we actually had a room that was the breakable room, and it was the room where my mom kept the plastic on the couch. And uh, it was the room that Jason was not allowed to go into because Jason breaks things. And uh, my son is a lot like me. And uh, we had a breakable room in our house. And I remember every Christmas, my mom would go into the breakable room, 
and she would open up one of the boxes and she would bring out of the breakable room into the living room that kind of doubled as my gymnasium. She would bring out to the living room the porcelain nativity set. I mean, this was a very nice, you know, beautiful angel halo, Mary makeup on, like very nice porcelain nativity set. And she always had very clear instructions. Jason, don't touch the nativity set. Don't get near the nativity set. Don't play near the nativity set. Don't touch the nativity set. Now, you're probably expecting me to tell you a story about how I broke it. I never broke it. It was actually one of my accomplishments. I never broke it. But my point today about telling that story is that I feel like that a lot of us, maybe all of us, are tempted to believe that the Christmas story looks like that porcelain nativity set. Maybe as you drive by certain churches in town and they've got nativity sets set up outside, or maybe you've got one in your room or maybe or in your house. Maybe you've got uh, you know, some, some holiday cards that you have sitting out, whatever it is. I think we're tempted to believe that the Christmas story looks like this porcelain perfect nativity scene. And I think what happens to us is that we view Jesus being born that way, and then we kind of carry that perception or that belief about God or that assumption about God really throughout our lives, that Jesus was this porcelain, pretty, nice uh, guy with perfect hair, you know, depending on your view of Jesus, and, and this white outfit, and like just that, that Jesus is not messy, that the gospel is not messy, that the good news of Christ showing up on Christmas is not messy, and that is not, that's not true. It's not true. First of all, it's not true that the Christmas story, the night of Christmas, was this beautiful, pretty little uh, porcelain setting. But it's not true that a relationship with God or Jesus or the gospel is this clean, fit-in-a-box, clean-cut story. It's, it's just not. I, I mentioned earlier about things that stress you out at Christmas. And I have this weird thing. I, 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 don't, it, I don't struggle with it the rest of the year, but on Christmas morning, I have this thing. I learned it from my mom, and now that, that I'm in charge kind of of Christmas morning, I, what, let me tell you what stresses me out on Christmas morning, and I'm probably the only one because this is one of those weird things, but let me tell you what stresses me out on Christmas morning. Lots of wrapping paper trash all over the floor, all right? So I am like the police with a trash bag. The moment a kid, you might do this, the moment somebody opens a gift, I'm like, here, 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 put the trash, the wrapper in there. Anybody you like that with the trash bag? Okay, I'm not the only one that makes me feel better. I don't know why, because I'm not like a real clean, neat person, but like, I just, I can't stand the wrapping paper and all the stuff, right? And and so today, I want to talk about um, the beauty of the messiness of Christmas, the beauty that we find in, in the messy story of Christmas. And I really want to just emphasize three parts, three, three things about the Christmas story today. We're going to read little pieces of it, but I know you're familiar with the story, but there are three particular parts of the Christmas story that are messy to me. The first thing, three, three parts, three pieces of this puzzle, three pieces of the story that are particularly messy. And the first thing, the first beautiful thing about Christmas or the beautiful thing about Christmas story is that it reminds me 
that Jesus or that God isn't bothered by messy people. God is not bothered or intimidated by messy people. Now, I don't know if you've ever um, read Matthew chapter 1. If you've ever tried to read the Bible or get uh, started on the Bible, you probably skipped Matthew chapter 1 because Matthew chapter 1 is one of those begot chapters. And uh, if you have a King James, it's begot. But if you're reading Matthew 1, it just lists the lineage or the line, the family tree of Jesus. It says Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And just keeps listing generation after generation after generation. So the chances are pretty decent that you have um, skipped Matthew chapter 1. But there's actually something really interesting in a few of the verses in Matthew chapter 1 as it is explaining to us how Jesus came to be. That Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man, which means that you could trace his ancestry or his roots. And so there are a few that I would just like to point out to you to encourage you today that, that God is not bothered or intimidated by messy people. Gen- or Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. It says that Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about Jacob around here, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But here's what you need to know about Jacob, is that Jacob was a liar. Like, he struggled with deceiving people. He was a con artist. He conned his dying father. Like, so, so I want you to just, in, in, your, in your mind, kind of picture like a Bernie Madoff or, or picture somebody who runs a Ponzi scheme or picture somebody you know that is a con artist. According to Matthew chapter 1, Jacob was the third in the line of the ancestry. If you skip down to verse five, it says that Boaz, uh, it says, I'm sorry, that Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, I don't know if you know who Rahab is, but Rahab was a prostitute. The first time we ever meet her is when uh, the nation of Israel sends some spies and they go into Jericho and the Bible says that they went to the, the prostitute's house. Spies when they were gonna Rahab. And Rahab figured out a way and came up with a plan to save the spies when they were going to get killed. And so her life was spared and she ended up marrying an Israelite and became part of the tribe. And she ended up being included in the genealogy, the family tree of Jesus. I want you to just comprehend that for a second. That, that Rahab the prostitute and Jacob the con artist got to be in, in Christ's lineage, right? Let me, let me give you one more. Uh, this is verse six. It says that Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. The widow of Uriah is a really nice way of putting what Bathsheba was. If you don't know the story, uh, David was up on the roof watching Bathsheba bathe. He was not, she was not, they were not married. He was attracted to her. He called her over. He slept with her. He got her pregnant. Then to try to cover up the pregnancy, he assassinated her husband. Then he married her. Their child died. They had another child, Solomon, who they listed here. So what that means is that the family line of Jesus included a a mom and a dad, a husband and a wife that was birthed out of adultery and murder birthed out of adultery and murder. And their child, 
birthed out of that relationship got to be in the family tree, the line of Jesus. And so one of the things that I love about the Christmas story and the messiness of the Christmas story is I love that God is not bothered or intimidated by, by messy people. And that if you, if you picture Jesus as a porcelain, kind of perfect, like breakable nativity set, you could probably think that you're exempt or you're disqualified or you're not able to be never been looking for involved in a relationship with God. But God has never been looking for perfect people. He's only looking for people who can admit they're not perfect. God is not looking for perfect people. He's only looking for people who can admit they're not perfect. It's the only people that ever bothered Jesus was the people who acted like they were better than they were. The people who are broken, people who are not okay, are okay with Jesus. So okay, in fact, that he decided to allow all, we could keep giving examples, all of these messy people to bring about Jesus Christ. So maybe you're here today and you would say, Jason, I'm a messy person. My life is messy. There are things that are not clean that I've been trying to get clean and I just haven't been able to get them clean and I've still got some issues and I've still got some addictions and I've still got some, some battles that I'm fighting and it is messy and it is bloody and it is, it's just tough. It doesn't bother God. God's not intimidated or bothered or scared of, of your mess because he's never been looking for perfect people, only people who can admit they're not perfect. So that's the first thing I love about the Christmas stories. I love, it reminds me that God is not bothered by messy people. The second thing that I love about the mess of the Christmas story is that it reminds me that God is not bothered by messy places. We've already talked about messy people, but it reminds me that God is not bothered by messy places. Luke chapter two, verses six and seven, it says, and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, obviously talking about Mary, and she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him in snuggling strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. You know, you've heard this, you've seen it. This makes it sound a little better than it is, doesn't it? There was nowhere for them to stay, so they're staying in a barn. When I started, now I, I didn't really understand the gravity of childbirth when I started reading the Christmas story 10, 12 years ago, but now after seeing four babies delivered, I can understand the gravity of childbirth a little bit more. It's messy. It's messy. It's not this clean, neat little thing. Now add in uh, a barn filled with animals. Add in no epidural. Come on, ladies. I mean, add in all of that and ask yourself, like, how much was the birth of Christ that night? How much does it really look like the porcelain nativity set? Probably not very much. And if I was God and I was going to send my son and I was going to entrust him to someone I would, have, I would have picked someone a little more type A. I would have picked somebody who planned ahead a little more. So, somebody maybe more than Joseph who would have said, hey, my wife's pregnant. I need to make sure I've got somewhere for us to be, somewhere for us to stay. 
I've got everything that we need. It kind of almost feels like that they were kind of winging it, right? It wasn't this peaceful little night where everything was coming together. There was cows mooing and pigs making sounds and smells from a barn and Mary's cussing and threatening Joseph's life. Baby comes out screaming, crying. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's exactly how God wanted it to be. You ever thought about that? That God was not up in heaven, and we'll talk about this in a second, but God wasn't up in heaven thinking like, man, this is not the way I wanted it, but we'll just go with it. He was right where he wanted them to be with the people that he wanted them to be with. There is no beauty of the Christmas story is that it reminds us that there is no place that God will not go to reach us. There's no place that God is not willing to go to reach us. He will go to the backside of a barn in a desert to find you. And so maybe you're here today and you would say, Jason, um, my life, yeah, I'm a messy person, but, but my life is messy. My life is a messy place. There are some relationships. My home, maybe you would say, Jason, my home is not peaceful. My marriage is not peaceful. My relationship with my children is not peaceful. The way I am at work is not peaceful. It's just, it's messy. It's messy. The beauty of the Christmas story is that God says, like, I can handle that. I've never been intimidated. I've never been bothered by, by messy places. And so we find messy people, the Christmas story. We find messy places in the Christmas story. And I think probably my favorite thing that I love about the Christmas story and the mess of the Christmas story is that it reminds me that God is not bothered by a messy process. God is not bothered by a, a messy process. Have you ever read the Christmas story? I know maybe this is your tradition. It was our tradition that uh, every year growing up. Matter of fact, this is the first year. I'm 33 years old. This is the first year of my life I'm going to spend Christmas morning at my house. It's pretty crazy. But my whole life, we were always at, at a grandparent's house or... And every Christmas Eve, my uncle would, uh, we would read the Christmas story. And I've always been a little weird in the head, I know. And I've always like overanalyzed things and stuff. But I remember even as a kid, as they would read the Christmas story, I always used to remember thinking like, this is a strange story. A, a strange, it all works together. It's just a, it's just kind of a, a strange story. Here's just a couple of the details that have always been bizarre to me. Um, and, and kind of how it makes it more messy. So Mary gets pregnant and has to explain to her fiancé that, that she hasn't cheated on him and she hasn't actually ever been with anyone, but she is pregnant. Now, I know it's in the Bible and an angel showed up, so we're like, yeah, it makes perfect sense. It makes no sense. I want you to imagine somebody, you know, your daughter or your best friend or your spouse coming to you. And be like, listen, I'm pregnant. You're what? No, it's not like that. That's just kind of messy. I guarantee you they fought. 
I guarantee you Joseph doubted. We know he did because he was thinking about breaking up with her. He was going to. Mary and Joseph have to take a road trip during the ninth month of her pregnancy. So there's a census and they've got to go back to their land. Like that's all under the control of God. And so Joseph comes home. He's like, hey, Mary, load up. You know, we got to go. We got to go back home during the ninth month of her pregnancy. She's ready to deliver. Joseph is born and or Jesus is born. Joseph has a dream that tells him not to go the way he was going to go, but change course. I mean, like, what if he didn't take the dream seriously? I've had weird dreams before. And it's like God, God is sending his son. He's created this, this incredible miracle of Jesus' birth, and he's kind of winging it on a dream. I mean, that's, 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 that's not very official. That's, that's, it's kind of it's messy. The worst example of this, this one's one that's always just kind of like, the King Herod, because Jesus was born, decided to kill every baby under the age of two. How, how would God not somehow fix that in the plan? I mean, you read this story and you think, man, if I was God, it would have been so much neater than this and so much more prepared than this and so much more put together. He would have got that book. Joseph would have gotten a roadmap and he would have gotten an itinerary and, and Mary would have got that book, what to expect when you're expecting. And we would have just kind of, it would have come together a lot better. It just feels kind of chaotic. Kind of messy. Joseph and Mary are looking at each other like, what do we do next? I don't know. Haven't seen the angel in seven months. It's messy. And I, I love it because it's exactly how God wanted it. And so maybe as you look at your life and you think to yourself like, man, I haven't gone from point A to point B to point C to point D. I've gone from A to B to A to A and a half to B to A to C to A to B to A. I've just, my process has not been clean, Jason. To, to get where I'm trying to go, my finances, my career, my relationship with God, it has not been clean. It has been messy and ugly and strange and chaotic. And I love the Christmas story because it reminds me that God's process may feel messy to me, but it always is perfect to him. That God's process for my life may feel messy to me. There's never a time when God is in heaven looking down and saying, this is getting out of control. It's always perfect. And even the broken parts, even the ashes that I've created from all the things I've burned down, the Bible says that in his perfect plan, he brings beauty from them. That God's process for our life is always perfect. And so Jesus is born, and we are told that he is Emmanuel, that he's God with us. And I love that name, God with us, and I, and I love that his name wasn't just like God. And I love that his name was, and I love that his name wasn't just like God on our side. And I love that his name wasn't just God is available to help us, but he's God with us. He's God with me, even if my life is messy, even if some of my relationships are messy, even if the place I'm in right now and my process is messy, 
Jesus says, like, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. The place, the setting, the mess, the stink, it's never bothered me. It's how I came into the world. And so maybe you would say, Jason, I, I'm going through a messy divorce. I'm going through a messy bankruptcy. My relationship with my kids is messy right now. Some of my actions and addictions have turned my life into a mess or it's getting messy. My secrets are messy. The Christmas story is the best story because it reminds us that we have a Savior who's not afraid to get down in the mud. He's not afraid to leave heaven, which probably does look porcelain, and come down and get in the mud with you and with me. So what could happen today if you decided to invite Jesus into your mess? What, what could happen for some of you if you decided to invite him into your life to be the Savior, God with you. But maybe you would say, Jason, I have a relationship with God. I know God, but as I'm looking at the scenarios and the circumstances of my life, I've tried to handle them myself, myself and fix them myself and work on them myself, and it's not really working. It's kind of just making more of a mess. What could happen in your life if you decided to let God in today and say, God, I'm just gonna bring this to you I'm going to give it, let you have this and all the pieces and all the stink. I'm going to give it to you. If you will let him do that, if you'll let him in, he'll do something miraculous in your life. Let's pray.